Amen. This morning, I want to continue to speak on a subject that we started last week on evidence. We've been talking about evidence a lot. And evidence is important because it's how we base so much about life is on evidence. And last week, we spoke on the evidence of God's goodness. And we spoke about the evidence of God's, um, of, the, of the way that he blesses us. And um, today, I want to speak a little bit more about that. But I want to speak it more on um, the evidence of God's, how he works through us in, in endurance and in patience. You know, last week we spoke about the evidence of God's grace. And God's grace is defined as what? Yeah, it, God's grace is defined basically any way I think you can define it. There's no right or wrong answer here this morning. But, but I know that it is, we, we quite often call it unmerited favor. And God's grace is his favor upon us, and, and it's unmerited in the fact that we don't deserve any of it, other than the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And, um, and God proved his evidence towards us is his son Jesus through the sacrifice of his life for us. And that's grace. God's unmerited favor towards us is everlasting, and it's eternal, and it never ends. And uh, today, I want to speak about the evidence of endurance and patience in the process. Now, last week, the verse that we used to help us talk about God's evidence is this. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 9 and 10. And uh, just let me read that, and then we'll kind of move that into this week. Last week we said, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, So as to, number one, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Number two, that we would bear good fruit in every good work. And number three, that we would be increasing in the knowledge of God. And we spent last week talking about those three facets of our evidence of God's grace. In that we would have a desire to live a life fully pleasing to God without compromise. And that we would bear fruit in good works as we would to work to please the Lord and helping other people. And then the third thing is that we were continually growing in the knowledge of Christ. Growing that we were continually having an inward and an outward growth and how important those were. And you know, um, that's powerful. That is a powerful word and that was a powerful um, instruction. And you know what's really good about God's word is how it always ties itself together. God never gives one thing without the ability to do that thing. Okay, and we go right into the text for today is is verse 11 of Colossians chapter one. And and his text is this. Our text for the day is may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, we were just given three important things to do. We were to desire to live a life pleasing to God. We were to bear fruit in good works and we're to grow in Christ. Now, if I was to do those three things on my own, I wouldn't be very good at that. Or if you were to have that responsibility to do that on your own, we would struggle with that. So what the Lord says, the next verse, he says, May you be strengthened in the power, according to his glorious might, for endurance and patience, so that you can do all the things that I'm asking you to do. And I want to talk this morning about why it's important that we have endurance and patience in our life. Let's pray first. Father, 
we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your message. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, now we just ask that you give us the strength today that we would have um, the ability to understand your word through your all-powerful might. Lord, if there's any stronghold here that would be closing our ears or, or shutting up our heart or bringing distractions, we pray that that stronghold would be broken in the name of Jesus and that our hearts would be open to hear your word. And we pray, God, that we would receive it and hear it and you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I, I, it's not coincidental at all that God puts passages like this together. He doesn't say something in one passage and then leave it up to us to do it. So the fact that he would, he would say something of that urgency, of that strength, of that ultimate desire of our life, and then say, okay, now how are you going to do that? Now pray. Now pray, God, strengthen me to do it. Give me the ability. Give me the power to do that. And understand that the enemy is all about stopping that, right? I mean, we have to understand that we are constantly in a warfare here. And, and, and if we don't understand that, then, that's, then we can become really frustrated in some things. So when we understand that the fact that we're in warfare, we understand that when we have some things coming against us, that we understand where it's coming from. That, that we understand that we have an enemy that wants to stop us from pressing in and doing the things that God wants us to do. So when I know that, and when I know the enemy's strategy, that he, is, he wants to discourage and he wants to get us off God's course, uh, especially after we've been given a good instruction, you can anticipate some problems. You can anticipate some issues that come up in your life. You can anticipate some, some attacks from the enemy. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that to strengthen you. I'm saying that to let you know that it's absolutely normal when a Christian gets hit by the devil. You're not oppressed. You're not possessed. You're, up, you're attacked. You're attacked. And it's nothing, you're not sinning when you're attacked. But what we do when we become attacked is that what do we do? We, want to be, we need to be strengthened, not by our own ability, or more importantly, we don't, run, we don't want to run away into our own little shell of self-pity. The worst thing a person can do when you're attacked is to run away from the church. The worst thing you can do is to run away from other bodies of believers. Understand that, first of all, if you're attacked, and you might even be attacked by a person, understand what the Bible says. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of the air and authorities of the, the prince of the air. So if a person attacks you, it's not a personal thing. It's a spiritual battle. So don't run away from people because people attack you. That's exactly what the devil wants you to do. The first time that you get insulted or offended by a brother or a sister in Christ and we run away from them or we run away from church or we run away from that event, the devil is saying, okay, now, you're, now I'm reeling you in. I got you, you took the hook. You're swallowing the bait. I'm just going to set the hook and I'm going to reel you in because now I'm going to bring you to now where I can really flay you and I'm going to eat you for lunch. Rather, what we need to be doing is knowing that that attack or that, uh, that, that word that was said, that offensive word, was not from that person. That person really didn't mean to hurt you, but the devil meant it. So what we, need, we need to go back to the people. That's why I think it's so important we, that we don't hold on to offenses, that we don't, be, we don't hold on to grudges and bitterness. Bitterness is the root of all evil. And bitterness comes when we allow these attacks to come in and to, 
settle in our soul, settle in our spirit, and then we run from people. Whereas what we need to be doing is running back to the people, running back to the people of God, and knowing that we're all imperfect, we all make mistakes, but we're all forgiven. And when we forgive and are forgiven, the Holy Spirit settles in our heart, doesn't he? And that's he brings restoration, and he, re, and he brings new relationships. You know, I was really thankful for Jenna's testimony today. There has been a real restorative work in families in our, in our community, and it's an awesome thing when we see God restore. Amen? Because what God restores, no man can separate. It's like a marriage, right? When we come together under a godly union like that, he says, no man can separate that. What God puts together, no man can pull apart. They can try. The enemy can, can try. But when God's in it, it's going to be successful. And when we allow that to happen, oh, man, there's unity in the brotherhood, and there's goodness. And all of a sudden, love becomes a mighty force, and God really, really works in his people. Amen. Scripture is full of instruction to, be, to, be, to believers to be persistent to be persistent in our walk with the Lord. Amen? We are to be enduring and we're to be persevering. If we're, if we're not going to be enduring, then what's the purpose of being patient? There, there's a reason that he puts endurance before patience. It's said in our text that according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. He didn't say patience and endurance. He said endurance and patience. Why? Why is it important? Because if I'm not committed to endure, if I'm not committed to persevere to the end, then patience doesn't even, doesn't even play into the picture. Because if I quit, no need for patience. But if I'm going to endure to the end, patience is going to be required so that I can patiently endure. So it's important. And one of God's amazing characteristics about God is that he is both. God is both enduring and he's patient. He's never in a hurry. He's never anxious. He's never uptight about anything. Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 10, it says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose now if that doesn't give you a sense of confidence in who God is then you might as well stop reading the Bible but that that that, that proves God knows who he is God knows who he is he knows his strength he knows his omniscience omnipotence he knows that he also knows that he, is, he knows the beginning from the end. Revelations twenty two thirteen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. There is nothing that God doesn't know in his omniscience. And thus he is not anxious or impatient about anything. Now he may not like our choices. He may not like the things that we're doing. Even though he knows the beginning from the end, he may not like it, but here's the thing that's really important. What I do that God doesn't like doesn't knock him off course. When I fail, God doesn't worry about it. God doesn't get all flustered. God doesn't say, oh no, now what am I going to do? 
He doesn't know. You know why? Because he knows the beginning from the end. He knows the end. That's what the Bible says. Therefore, he doesn't get anxious about it. He doesn't lose control when we mess it up. Rather, he remains patient and enduring toward us. That's so important that we recognize that God's patience is always for us. He's enduring for us. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But if the key to endurance and patience is knowing, if the key to it is knowing the beginning from the end and knowing that everything is going to work out according to God's plan, if, if we know that, then doesn't it make even more sense that we as weak little people make our alliance with the God that knows all things? Doesn't it make more sense? I mean, rationally, can't you just see why it makes sense to get on God's side? If that's where, if that's where endurance and patience comes from, then why would we want to fight that? Why would we want to ignore that? If, patience, if, if endurance and patience are truly two great evidences of, of, of God, then a Christian's life should have evidence of endurance and patience. So what does it mean? What does it mean to have endurance and patience? According to our text, it says that, that we're trusting and we're praying that God would strengthen us, that God, may you be strengthened. This is Paul speaking and praying for those in the, the Colossians church. He said that you would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might for all endurance and patience. I want to talk a little bit about that, a little bit more about what does it mean to endure? What does it mean to endure? And what are the various, various aspects, aspects of patience? Enduring to the end, perseverance. Perseverance, that's a hard word to say. Perseverance. Say it with me. Perseverance. Yeah, what does it really mean? What does it really mean to persevere to the end? Now, we've heard an old saying, and, and this is a really good saying, because I think we all will, will uh, uh, identify with it. It says, it's not how one starts, it's how one finishes that counts. Right? We can have a bad first half of the game, but if we have a good second half, we can still win. Right? We, it's not how we start. Thank goodness for that. Because we've all messed it up, haven't we? But the future is before us. The cross is before us. And that's before us. And as long as we keep our eyes focused on that. So that's why perseverance is so important, is that, is that we don't let our future be, a, be a, a, an outcome of our, of, our fu- of our past. That we don't look at our future and say, well, we can't accomplish that because we've done this. No, yeah, you, you've done that, whatever that is. You can't change that. It's what it is. But that doesn't limit you from doing what your future says. Yeah, we're, we press on to the goal. We move, we, move, move, we move forward. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 talks about endurance. Let us not become weary in, good, in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. At the proper time. Maybe not my timing. <laughs> not, maybe not your timing. But at the proper time, if we do not give up, God will provide a harvest for us. Perseverance. So that we don't give up in well-doing. That, that we know that it's as we endure that all things that are happening against us, that God will up- accomplish his plan through us, even in the hard times. Even in the hard times. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You know, there are some verses that are just fun to read, and that's one of them. 
That's just one of those verses that's just fun to read. If you're having a bad day, just read that verse, and that'll pick you up. Don't lose heart. Man, those problems that you're going through right now, though they seem so heavy and so lasting, they're light and momentary in compared to eternity. It is, this, this is a great verse. It just says that all those big problems that are going on in your life right now, they're going to be like a flash in the pan. They are just going to disappear someday. And then we're going to have, and then all of that, that stuff, it's just going to go away with it. And if I'm allowing that bad thing to make me a better person, that's just going to make my glory even more of a better reward. Amen? So that's just, those are good verses. Do you remember the song? I, I can't sing it this morning, but I'm, we're going to watch a little video here in a minute. The song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Remember that song? Do you know what the, do you know what the premise of that song was? It was a man that knew what it was to endure. Nearly 200 years ago, a revival took place in Wales, England. And as a result of this revival, many missionaries were called on to foreign mission fields. And many of these missionaries chose as their place of service to go to North India, a place that could best be described as savage. These tribes were famous for a group of men known as headhunters, who as a sign of greatness in their tribe would take the heads of their enemies and hang them on their walls. And it was into this savage tribe that these missionaries came, and obviously they were not welcomed by these tribes. But still, they, they knew they were called by God, and so they continued to share their faith. And they finally reached out to one family who accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this man and his wife and two sons were so contagious about Jesus that they were beginning to lead other villagers and other people from their tribe to Jesus. And the tribal chief got wind of, of, of their faith. And so he called a meeting of the tribe and he, he captured this family and he brought them before the tribe. And he said to the man, he said, renounce Jesus Christ as your savior or something bad is going to happen to you. He said, we're going to kill your children. And the man, he loved his children. He looked down at his sons and he, he loved them, but he knew that he couldn't renounce Jesus Christ. So he said the words to this famous song. He said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And the archers pulled back their arrows and they shot dead his two sons. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back and as his sons laid there before him on the ground dead the tribal chief said I'm going to give you another chance renounce Christ or I'm going to kill your wife and the man looked down at his sons, and he looked at his wife, whom he loved so much, his partner in life. But he knew what Scripture said, that he needed to acknowledge God, acknowledge Christ before men. And he said the second line to this famous song. He said, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. 
and the archers killed his wife. two sons and his wife lying on the ground in front of him, the tribal chief came before him again and said, renounce Christ or this time we'll kill you. And the man, realizing that he had nothing left in this world, looked up at heaven and said the last lines to this song. He said, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. And in anger, the tribal chief gave the order and the archers killed the man. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back no turning back and now with the man and his two children and his wife dead the chief stood before this family speechless he couldn't believe what his eyes had just seen and he realized that through the faith of this man that this God must be real this Jesus who this man was willing to die for must be real. And on the spot, the reports tell us that this chief accepted Christ as his Savior. And throughout the, the following weeks and months, the rest of the tribes began to accept Christ as their Savior. All because one man and his family were willing to stand up and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. Though no one goes with me, I'm still going to follow. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Amen. Can you, uh, can you identify with that at all? It's hard to. I mean, I don't think none, any of us have put in, been put in a position like that. But yet, can we make that declaration in our heart that I've decided to follow Jesus and I'm going to endure to the end. I am not going to let things get in the middle of my life today. Even, and most of them are so petty most of them are so little, but yet they just become big mountains to us, don't they? Why? Why? Because maybe we're keeping our focus off the wrong things. Maybe we're not getting that attitude of, of, of endurance the way it's supposed to be. When we allow that attitude of, of people, of issues, excuses, justifications, when all of a sudden they become bigger in our hearts and our lives and Jesus... Wow, do we have problems? We have problems. Um, if a person isn't determined to finish the race, there's a problem. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about races. 12 verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so, easy, so easily entangles 
And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. So important. For you, the pioneer or the, the author, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the Father, the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary of heart and lose heart as well. See, do you see how Christ endured? We are to endure like Christ. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, what does it mean that we um, talk about patience? Patience for what? Patience, number one, patience is that, that as God meets our needs according to his promises, we can so easily get impatient when, when we have problems in our life. Amen? Do you know what I'm talking about? Can you identify with me here at all? We've asked God for something, and it just doesn't appear like he's working on our behalf fast enough. Well, we're to, we're to be patient in, in our enduring when it comes to God meeting our needs. James talks about being patient as a farmer is patient. Let's read that. James chapter 5, starting at verse 7. It says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The example of the farmer if the farmer was going to have a crop, I think we can identif identify with farmers here. How many have ever been a farmer or know a farmer here? We, we, we're in an agricultural community. Before the farmer can ever get a harvest, what does he have to do? He's got he's to sow the seed. He's got to put the seed in the ground first, doesn't he? So the farmer has a responsibility in the process. Once the seed is sown, now he has to be patiently waiting. And he has to wait until the seed goes through the process of germinating, growing to the point of a harvest. And we need to be understanding of that. We have responsibility in our, the way we conduct our lives in that we are to be sowing seed of God's word in our lives and in lives of other people. Then we are to wait patiently for it to happen. And then he talks about the heroes of the old in the Old Testament and, and about them, how they suffered and in their suffering, though, God did a mighty work and how God produced a harvest on their behalf. And I guess I wonder sometimes why I think my life should be any different than that. Just because I live in 2014 and they lived many, many, many years ago, what does time have to do with it? Why does time change the fact that if Job had to suffer, if any of the Old Testament prophets or any of the Old Testament heroes that we go back to and call them heroes, if they suffered through adversity of life, then why shouldn't I have to suffer through adversity of life? Why should my life be any different? And therefore, again, it's all about a perspective. When I understand the perspective of knowing that, now I can begin to see why I need to hang, to stay steady. I need to stay steady and endure in the face of things and then be patient. In Philippians 4.19, my God promises to meet our needs. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. So understand that God will meet your needs as you are patiently waiting, like the farmer, patiently waiting. 
Another area of patience is in our witness to others. How many here have unsaved loved ones? How many here have family members or friends that that haven't accepted Jesus Christ and how you've tried and tried and tried to get the message across? Well, you know what? We're to be patient in that. Now, there's a little dichotomy here, just a little bit, and the fact is that patience here does not mean that you stop living your life in front of them as a Christian and you don't stop preaching the word. There is an urgency along with patience. There's an urgency to continue to live your life, a holy life, a life set apart, a life that is exemplifying what it is to be a holy man of God. There's an urgency to make sure that you're constantly, when opportunity presents itself, that you're consistently, um, urgently giving the appeal. But then we're to patiently wait and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Sometimes we get those mixed up. Sometimes we want to get involved and be the Holy Spirit. I know I'm guilty. We want to get, be the Holy Spirit. We want to be the one to make the change. Well, that doesn't work that way, does it? When I get involved that much, all of a sudden I'm mixing up the, I'm mixing up, um, the, the formulation. I need to be patient and let the Holy Spirit do the work. But yet I urgently and passionately make the appeal. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 25. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait, as we wait eagerly for our adoption of son, to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We're to wait for the redemption of our bodies patiently, but yet we're to be active in the kingdom of God urgently. And then the last way that I want to talk about patience today is God's patience towards us, towards our salvation. God wants all men to come to the Lord. He wants all men to be saved. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then verse 15, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. God is not an angry God. He is not a God out here that is just can't, that, that is anxious to give um, a punishment. Now, he's very slow in his punishment. He's very slow in justice. He's very patient in everyone coming to the Lord. His justice will prevail in the end, no question about it, but his patience here is that we would understand how important it is that we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and that we would then be urgently appealing to our friends and neighbors. So this morning, Jackie, as you'd come, and we close this morning, and then we're going to have communion in a few minutes. But I just want to encourage us, first of all, to understand that endurance and patience are a, a characteristic of a Christian's life, that we are to be persistently persevering with patience, knowing that God's will will be done in the end. I don't know about you, but there have been times when I have not been that way as much as I need to be. And I just want to give us an opportunity this morning that we can recognize that we may need help in the area of endurance, that we may, we may need help in the area of, of per- perseverance. How easy is it to want to give up? Has, any, has anyone here with me ever felt the desire just to give up and give in and say it's just not worth it, you know, and just say I'm, just, I'm done with this? I'm done with it. I'm just going to give up. But you know where that's coming from, right? 
Do we know where that's coming from? Yeah. And we know that the Lord's for us, right? And there's times when we are, we're tired, we're worn out, we're ready to throw it in. That's exactly when we need to make sure that we stay with people. Do not let the enemy separate you from your, from, from your church brothers and sisters. Uh, I just, I don't know why that's so urgently in my heart this morning, but I, I just feel that it's a, the falling away, the apostasy of the church that we're going to have as we get closer to the end time. The apostasy is going to come because people are going to fall away. Because they're just going to physically fall away from people. And I know sometimes you just don't feel like being around people. I know that. I'm battling a cold again. I know that. And I know it's not from God. I know that. There have been, it would have been easier for me to stay home this morning, quite honestly. Call in sick. Take a sick day. You know, but I, that would have been the wrong thing for me to do. And it would have been the wrong thing for you to do, too, for you to call in those sick days. Now, I know sometimes you just do it. But, you know, God's grace is say, you know, folks, let's come together. Let's be together. Let's not, let's not judge each other. Let's not backbite each other. Um, let's just come in and let's just be part of the body of Christ. Amen. Does that make sense? Can we agree with that? We've seen, we've seen the examples this morning of how redemption and how powerful it is when we restore relationships. It's so, it's so important. It's so good. When you ask us this morning, what would God want us to do? I didn't share this because I thought it was just kind of for me. But everything in the sermon, everything that has been spoken here today verifies what the Lord said to me. And what he said was, be still and know that I am God. Everything that, and maybe your sermon was just for me, but it just falls together to be still and know that God is God. God is in control. No turn.